Well, good morning again. It's, uh, it's lovely to see you all. Uh, for those of you who, um, who don't know me, my name's Paul and I'm one of the ministers here and it's uh, my great privilege to be uh, speaking to you this morning. I'm, I'm going to come to the Bible in a few minutes' time, but if you want to be ready, uh, we're going to look at a number of passages this morning, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 4. By all means, grab a Bible from the two racks by the doors. Um, we'll come to that in a minute or two. A number of years ago, I heard uh, a retired missionary speaking, and he was talking about life on the mission field. And he'd spent a number of years living in a a remote part of, I I think it was somewhere in Africa. And he told us a lot of stories about his time working in in that that part of the world and uh, about life in the mission station where he he lived. And uh, one of the stories he told us about was about the car that they had had to drive at this mission station. And it was an old banger. It didn't work properly, uh, but they had no money to repair it or certainly not to replace it. And so they made the best of what they had for a long, long time. And the fundamental problem with this car was that it it wouldn't start. Once it was going, it would run fine, um, but it wouldn't, once you turn the engine off, you couldn't start the car in the normal way. There was no power coming through to the starter motor. Uh, And so sometimes he would ask the local kids if they would give him a push so he could bump start the car. Uh, More often what he would do is that he would park deliberately just past the top of a hill. And sometimes he would do that and walk a couple of miles to get to the place he was actually visiting and then walk back to the car so that when he got back to the car he could use the momentum that he would build up rolling down the hill to bump start the car. Um, And he drove it like that for for a long time. He wasn't particularly mechanical uh, and certainly didn't have the funds to get anything done about the car. uh, And so he he used the car that way. Until he had a visit from a young missionary who was sort of posted to that mission station for a short time. And when the younger chap arrived, the old guy explained to him about this cranky old car they had and what you had to do to get it to start when it wouldn't start. Uh, And he talked it all through, upon which the younger man went out, lifted the the bonnet, reconnected a cable, and started the car with the key the first time. Imagine spending all that time with all the power available and never knowing how to access it. Imagine spending all that time making excuses for why you weren't seeing the power you should have been seeing. When I uh, went on my sabbatical last year, um, my objective for the research that I was going to do during the time that I, that I wasn't here um, was, to, um, was kind, of, kind of born out of a sense of believing that maybe God has more power, has more, more for us than we necessarily see. And wanting to find out about that and find out how to connect into it. If God's got something more for us at TBC, I want us to plug into what he's got for us. And uh, particularly in the area of healing. For a long time I've believed that in the area of healing it might be the case that there is more available than I have seen or experienced. And so this this sermon is the first of three that I'm going to be... um, Uh, talking through in in, in the next uh, four weeks. We've got a a week of something different next week, uh, but I'm I'm preaching three sermons 
partly as a way of sharing a bit of my, my own story, my own journey, and feeding back to you some of what I've learned on sabbatical, some of what, how God's challenged me and spoken to me during my sabbatical, partly as an invitation to each of you to join me on what I believe is the adventure that God wants to, uh, to take us on in discovering what more he has for us. But over these three Sundays, what I want to do is I want to explore three questions. I'm not going to say answer three questions because there are some things in, in these questions that we can't answer, but I want to explore three questions. The first one for this Sunday is how important is healing? The second one for two weeks' time is what about when healing doesn't happen? I don't want to brush over the fact that the subject of healing is an immensely painful one because all of us, I suspect, have prayed for people to be healed and it hasn't happened. And we can't just brush that aside and pretend that's not the case. We need to wrestle with that. We need to be honest about that. We need to talk about how we feel about that. And so in two weeks' time, I'm going to be... Uh, exploring the question, what about when healing doesn't happen? And then the, the third of the three sermons, I'm going to be looking at the question, how do I join in? If God is in the business of healing people, at least some of the time, um, what do we do about that? How do we join in with what God's doing? Let me start by saying this. I believe in a God of miracles. Central to my faith as a Christian is a belief in an all-powerful God who acts in our world and who is not restrained or constrained by the natural laws of this world. And if I'm truly honest, I find it hard to make sense of a Christian faith that doesn't believe in a God of miracles. If, if God was inactive... Or if God was helpless to act outside the, the natural laws that he created, what would be the point of prayer? If God was inactive or helpless to act outside the laws that he created, what would be the value in all those Bible stories that show him to be so very active? If God was inactive or helpless to act outside the natural laws that he created, what kind of God would he be? And so I'd been a Christian only a very short time when I, I first looked at the church that I was part of at that time and looked at my own experience as a Christian and concluded that it seemed to fall a little bit short of what I was reading in different parts of the Bible, particularly what I was reading in the book of Acts. And I remember thinking to myself, if the God that I'm following is the same God as the one in the Bible, there must be more to Christianity than I'm currently experiencing. If he's real, there must be more to this than I'm currently experiencing. And around that time, I, I was fortunate enough, this is going back 30-something years, a long time, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go to a couple of conferences where the main speaker was an American pastor and theologian, somebody called John Wimber. Uh, and John Wimber had a massive influence on me back in, in the 1980s, I think it was, when I first heard him speak. And that influence, in many ways, has lasted uh, right up till, to this day. Um, for all sorts of reasons, not least because of his humility. 
Um, he and the church that he led had seen some, some incredibly dramatic, miraculous healings. And yet what he told us was story after story about the times when they prayed and hadn't seen a healing. He was incredibly down to earth. He was incredibly real. He didn't hype things up one little bit. And that really, that appealed to me. Most of his stories focused on how many mistakes he'd made and how he'd learned so much from God the hard way. Um, and he, he kind of, he was the polar opposite from uh, a lot of the slick TV preachers that you saw back in those days who were all glossy presentation and six foot above contradiction and criticism. And, and I really warmed to that humility that he had about him. And uh, in the meetings that, that John Wimber led, God would sometimes turn up in, in very visible ways. And sometimes uh, you'd see evidence of God turning up. You'd see people laughing or crying or sometimes falling down or crying out as God reached into their lives and started to heal both physically and emotionally. And yet John Wimber played down those visible signs. He, he taught us, don't go looking for that. Don't go looking for the effervescent stuff. Go looking for the presence of God and just ask God what God wants to do. If he does something, great. If he does something visible, great. If he doesn't do anything visible, great. Because he's God and we're just here to be obedient and to pray. And so he seemed, as he taught us, he seemed very real. He seemed very honest. He seemed pretty humble and genuinely excited every time God turned up and started to heal someone, which he did. And what, what I was taught back then, so this, as I say, this is going back to the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s, that stirred up a hunger in me um, to see God's power at work, to see what God wanted to do and to be open to everything that God might want to do through me and through others around me. And that, that hunger has only grown over the years. That, that's, um, that's why I went to study what I went to study when I was on my sabbatical, that ongoing sense that maybe there's more that God wants to do than I've yet seen. So what, what I want to do for a few minutes is to turn to the Bible and to take a look at the first of those three questions, which is how, how important is healing? And by that, I don't mean how important is healing to me or to you or even how important is healing to somebody like John Wimber. Uh, what I mean is how important was healing to Jesus in his own ministry, and how important to Jesus is it that there is that ongoing ministry in the life of the church today? So not how important is it to me, but how important is it to him? Are there any occasions in the Gospels where Jesus gave us a hint, if you like, as to what his priorities were? He did so many things, but were there times that he gave us an insight into what was most important to him? Actually, I think there, there are a few. And uh, as I said a few moments ago, we're going to start in Luke 4, but we're going to look at a few different places. Uh, the first goes back to the very start of Jesus' ministry on earth. And it, this happens right after he uh, had been baptised, and then he went into the desert where he was tempted by the devil, if you, if you know that part of the Bible. And then after that, he went back to Nazareth, which was the town where he'd grown up. And uh, reading from Luke 4. And he taught in the synagogue there. 
Sorry, oh, no, sorry, this isn't reading from Luke 4. This is my introduction to reading from Luke 4. He taught in the synagogue there, which is probably the, the earliest um, record we have of anything he taught. Uh, and uh, he chose to read from a passage in Isaiah. Now reading from Luke 4, where Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now that, that passage, that sermon, is often viewed as being Jesus' mission statement. It's his three-year plan. It's Jesus laying out at the beginning of his ministry on earth what he had come to do. And right at the heart of it, he's talking about recovery of sight to the blind. Healing seems to be a central part of what Jesus said he'd come to do. If we turn over a couple of pages uh, to Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, we catch up with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is having a bit of a crisis of faith at this point. He's wondering whether Jesus really is the real thing. He's started off by nailing his colours to the mast and saying, this is the guy. And now he's wondering, is this really the guy? Am I following the right person or have I gone off down a cul-de-sac? And so John the Baptist sent a couple of guys to Jesus to ask him, are you the real Messiah? Are you actually the guy? And reading from, uh, from verse 20 in Luke 7, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, Jesus was saying, this is how you know that I'm the real deal. This is how you know that it really is God at work through me. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear again. So healing people was at the very heart of Jesus' understanding of who he was and of why he had come to earth. We're going to stay with Luke's Gospel and turn over again to, uh, to Luke chapter 9. And uh, when Jesus had called the, the twelve together, it says, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. So clearly this wasn't going to be, healing wasn't going to be Jesus' private parlour trick that was just for him. It wasn't something that only he could be involved with. His training programme for the early church, if you want to think of it that way, started with him giving his followers authority and giving them a command. Go and heal the sick. That's what he told the twelve to do, go and heal the sick. 
And if you look just a chapter later at the start of Luke chapter 10, Jesus then appointed 72 others. So now we're up to 84 people uh, that were following him that he'd given this kind of command to. And in verse 9, he says, Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. What about beyond that? Perhaps this whole healing thing in the New Testament was limited to Jesus and to his immediate followers, those people that actually met him and spent time with him. Was it sort of a, a big, if you like, launch event for the kingdom of God, um, but something that was going to be just for that time? What happened when the time came for Jesus to pass the baton to the church that was going to, to follow after he'd gone back to heaven? What did Jesus say to them? Well, at the end of Mark's gospel, you don't need to turn to, to all these verses because I'm uh, bobbing about a bit in the New Testament. So at the very end of Mark's gospel, Jesus tells his followers, so this is just before Jesus goes back into heaven, Jesus tells his followers, go into all the world and preach the gospel and these signs will accompany those who believe. And then he gives a whole list of signs but finishes with, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And of course, in Matthew's Gospel, in, in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go into the world, and when you see new Christians, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Well, that everything has to include the ministry of healing, because that was exactly what he had commanded those disciples to do. You see, being a disciple of Jesus isn't just about developing the character of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus includes doing the acts that Jesus did, doing the things that Jesus commanded us to do. And it's hard to avoid the conclusion that that includes praying for people who are sick and asking God to heal. It's hard to avoid that conclusion if we're going to be obedient to that command. And I don't believe that an honest reading of the New Testament allows for the possibility of a powerless church. Can I say that again? I don't believe that an honest reading of the New Testament allows for the possibility of a powerless church, nor for the possibility of a powerless Christian life. And over the years, people have invented a God who can't, and a God who won't, and a God who retired from public life when the Bible was published, and a God who moved away into embarrassed seclusion when we discovered science. But none of those bear any resemblance whatsoever to the God of the Bible. None of them do. And quite frankly, none of those are worthy of our worship. And I think all of them have probably arisen out of people's attempts to explain away why it was they weren't experiencing God's power in the way the Bible seems to describe. Now, 
I am absolutely not an expert in healing. But what I realised, kind of realised afresh, because God's challenged me about this in the past as well, but what I realised afresh during my sabbatical is that I'm not prepared to settle for excuses in my own life and in what I teach from the frontier. I believe in a powerful God. And I believe we need to wrestle with those questions because no, we don't see healing every time we pray for healing. I wish we did. We don't. But that can't be enough of a reason for us to walk away from what I believe we're commanded to do, which is to pray for the sick and to love people and care for people whether or not God heals them. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that in two weeks' time. But I'm not prepared to accept excuses or make up excuses for why I'm not seeing God working in my life in the way the Bible tells me I should be seeing. I've got L plates on when I talk about all of these things in in every sense, but I'm not willing to live a Christian life which resembles parking a car at the top of a hill so that I can get a running start and ignore the fact that I'm not seeing the power of God working in my life. I'm not prepared to live with that. And I don't know what God will do. I've got no idea what God will do. It's, in some senses, it's God's business what he chooses to do, not mine. My business is to be obedient to what I believe he says, which is pray for people. Pray for people who are sick and ask God to do what he wants to do. And my hope is that some of you, maybe a lot of you, maybe all of you, I don't know, will feel that you want to join me in that and say to God, I will do this and see what you choose to do. We have a a midweek youth group that we run in conjunction with another church up the road that we're we're very friendly with. And uh, back in January, we were together with with that small group of young people. And uh, one of the leaders from the other church was was really struggling with, with tooth pain. Uh, she'd been in pain fairly consistently for two or three months, um, and then she'd had the tooth extracted, but she'd developed something that I believe is called dry socket. Now, I, I don't know about these things. Ask Noel after the service. I'm sure he'll be able to explain. Uh, but she was still in a lot of pain, constant pain with that tooth. And I was newly back from my sabbatical, and I was all enthusiastic, so I said to the young people, let's pray, and let's ask God to make her better. Um, And the young people prayed. Now, young people always have more faith than you. If you've ever got something going on that you want prayer for, find a young person and ask them to pray for you, because they're not as as jaded as maybe the rest of us are. Uh, They've always got loads of of faith. And so we prayed. And then once we'd prayed, I asked her, so did God do anything? And she said, let's wait and see. Now, I'm going to be honest, I was really disappointed because I know, I've been doing this sort of thing a while, I know that let's wait and see means maybe I'll get better naturally in the next three weeks and we can say, oh, God healed me slowly. Um, and and I, honestly, I was disappointed because um, I, I don't like cop-outs. But two days later, she, we have a group chat for the young people. She messaged the group and said, the pain actually went away as you were praying. But I was worried that it might come back, so I didn't say anything there and then. Two days later, 
After three months of pain, two days later, the pain hasn't come back at all. God healed her. God's good, isn't he? God's good. So here's what I really want to say today. One thing that I've learned repeatedly during my sabbatical is that there is just one non-negotiable qualification for being involved in praying for people and seeing God heal them. Because, of course, it's God that heals. It's not us. None of us are healers. We don't have any power. It's all entirely him. But there is one non-negotiable qualification for being involved in that. And sure, you can go off on training courses and you can learn stuff that will make you feel a bit more confident. You can gain some experience that will perhaps raise your faith. But there is one qualification that is far more fundamental. Without this, I don't believe God will ever use you in healing people. And that qualification is this. It's the willingness to give it a go. The willingness to give it a go. It's as simple as that. And it's as challenging as that, because that willingness is challenging, isn't it? I spoke to one minister while I was on sabbatical. He, he told me that in his church, they, they regularly talk about, they regularly use the phrase, 20 seconds of sustained courage. Because he reckons that when somebody's talking to you and telling you what, what is going on and why they're poorly, and people do, don't they? It takes about 20 seconds to summon up the courage to say, actually, would it be all right if I prayed for you? Once you've said it, you're committed. If they say yes, you can't say, oh no, I've changed my mind, I'm off. 20 seconds of sustained courage to ask somebody whether it's okay to pray for them. Having the willingness to give it a go. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll come back and we'll talk about some of those other questions because I'm absolutely not prepared to brush over those. But our starting point has to be, are we willing to give it a go? 20 seconds of sustained courage. I'd like to pray for us, and I'd like to pray particularly for, for anybody who's sitting there saying, you know what, yes, I'm prepared to give that a go. I'm prepared to get involved in praying for people. I'm prepared to take a risk and see what God does. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to have 20 seconds of sustained courage and to stand up. We'd like to pray for you. Wow, thank you. I was expecting two or three. This is encouraging. If you're, um, if you're near one of these people and if you feel able, just reach out a hand, lay it on a shoulder or somewhere appropriate. Uh, be involved in praying for them. If you're not near enough to do that, you can always pick someone in your mind and pray for them as we pray. But let's, let's take a few minutes and let's pray. Lord, we're standing to say, not that we're experts, not that we know what we're doing, not that we've got any power, we know we haven't, but we're standing to say we're willing to give it a go. We're willing to be obedient. Perhaps we're not able to stand physically, but we are standing on the inside, some of us, to say that. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to ask you to come and to visit us now. We want to ask you to come in power.
And Lord, the first thing I want to ask that you would do is that you would come and break our hearts for those who are unwell in body or mind or spirit and in need of healing. Lord, we want to say to you very clearly that we are not here to collect spiritual trophies. We're not here to collect stories that we can tell. We're here because we want to be representatives of your love and your care and your power. And so, Lord, we want to ask you, would you, would you give us a compassion? Would you break our hearts for those who are in need of a touch from your spirit? We want that to be our starting point. And then, Lord, I want to pray that you would come and release gifts of healing and of faith. Lord, we know that we're talking about things that are so far beyond our own ability. We are totally dependent on you. Lord, would you release supernatural gifts of faith and supernatural gifts of healing? And Lord, would you give us courage? Lord God, none of us want to look weird. None of us do. All of us are a little bit worried that we're going to look super spiritual and a little bit crazy and we don't want to be that. We want to be normal, but we want to be people that love you and show that love to others. Lord, would you give us supernatural courage to pick up from you when the time is right to say, hey, would it be okay if I prayed for you? And then to follow that through. And Lord, would you give us resilience? Because we know that this is going to be hard. Would you give us the determination to pray and to keep praying? To love and to keep loving? To never let anybody, whether there's a visible healing or not, never let anybody walk away feeling unloved or uncared for or unwanted or anything else, but to know that you love them. Lord, would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you pour out your spirit on us? We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom come here in TBC. We want to see your kingdom come in Thornhill and Harefield. We want to see your kingdom come where we live and in our homes and in our workplaces and schools and friends and families. We want to see your kingdom come because you're good. And we want people to know your goodness. So, Lord, we believe together in a God of miracles and we want to ask you that we would see the miraculous, that you would come and that you would move in power. Lord, not just once or twice here or there, but that you would release something new. Lord, would you work through us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.